You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Seeking Excellence Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nathan Crankfield. Thanks for tuning in to today's solo episode. So today, I'm going to start with a little bit of scripture. We're going to dive into some words from my boy, St. James, the uh, one of the OGs himself. Um, I figured, you know, since I do these solos on Mondays, I'm like, it'd be great to kind of start your week with some scripture. And I'm not going to read, you know, like... 30 minutes of scripture, but just a little passage here and there, maybe a little bit of prayer time, you know, just take a minute to start and kind of be grounded in the word. Since that's something that I feel like as Catholics, we often slack in, we often underestimate, undervalue, and underpractice. And so let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. James. My dearly loved brothers, understand this. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save you. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by this world. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we start out this week, asking you to create clean hearts in us. Help us to be the saints that you created us to be. Help us to strive for holiness and excellence in everything that we do so we can glorify you through all our thoughts, words, and actions. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Thomas More, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Boom. All right, so I love the book of James. If you're looking to start reading more scripture, I often encourage people 
to start with uh, the letters. And so after the Gospels, after the four Gospels in the New Testament, you've got the letters. And why is that a great place to start? If you're just starting out, it's great to start there because that is, all the letters are written to new Christians, right? So for the, at least for the most part, they're writing to new churches that they founded. So the letter to the Romans, letter to the Corinthians by St. Paul, you're going to have them writing kind of kind of some basics, right? As far as what is Christianity? How is the Christian life meant to be lived? And so today we have this great message. And we know if you if you study the difference between Catholicism and Protestantism, you probably are aware that this is one of the, that the letter to St. James is one that um, Martin Luther tweaked. And it's, um, or no, it's, he didn't tweak this one. He tweaked something else uh, in one of St. Paul's letters, but at least not that I know if he didn't tweak James, but he doesn't like it. He doesn't like Saint, the, the letter of St. James. I think he thought about removing it because St. James pretty explicitly denies this idea of you're saved by faith alone, right? Which is a very common um, Protestant belief. And so what we hear right here, you know, is to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers as well, because to be a hearer only is not complete, right? It's not the fullness of what Christ calls us to, which is very obvious throughout all of scripture, but especially here in this letter of St. James. And so I want to encourage you to do that today, to be somebody who's going to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, right? So this means that we take and we listen to and we study scripture, we study church teaching, and then we apply it to our lives. We actually strive to live it out, which is something that is largely missing, right? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today is uh, I'm going to do a kind of a deep dive into the book uh, written by Matt Walsh, which I've um, only briefly talked about before on the podcast. But Matt Walsh's book that he wrote back in 2020 called Church of Cowards. And so we're going to take a look at some of this. I'm going to kind of go over the chapter titles and give um, just some thoughts on the different chapter titles. And then I'll kind of scroll through and uh, read some quotes from the book as well. And so, um, yeah, so the first the first title that he has, or the first chapter one is Christians Not Worth Killing. And that obviously sounds pretty tough, pretty abrupt, um, pretty... Uh, yeah, challenging, I guess you could say, in a sense, because Christians back in the day, like we've had, we obviously are a church of martyrs, right? We've been passed on, our faith has been passed on through martyrs, through shedding of blood, right? Almost, I think it's what, uh, 10 of the 12 apostles, um, if you count St. Paul kind of as Jesus' replacement, then you've got 11 uh, of the 12 apostles were martyred, right? So they were killed for their faith, either told to rebuke the Christian faith, rebuke Jesus, or disown, you know, disown, disavow the Christian faith, or die, and they chose death. And so that's, uh, you know, in our in our ranking, if you will, of saints, that's the greatest saint you can be, right? Is somebody who dies for the Christian faith. Um, but you can see here, you know, as he kind of goes into this, Christians not worth killing because the Christians that were worth killing were evangelists. They were people who were living, they were such great doers of the word and not hearers only that they were actually encouraging other people to be Christians, right? And so in order to be so offensive, you have to, one, you have to actually stand for something, which is important. Um, and, and what Matt Walsh basically advocates for in this, or, or uh, is trying to express in this first chapter, is that most Christians today are not worth killing because we're so soft on so many issues. We're so soft on so many topics. We so quickly give up biblical principles and church teaching when times get difficult or when we receive any pushback, 
that there there's no there's never any need of of a threat of violence or um yeah definitely no threat of killing most christians today we see a lot of violence in in uh pushback against catholic churches so if you don't know this let me find the exact number for you real quick yeah so this is an article written back in june which i will include in the show notes here from catholic vote that says over 200 attacks on u.s catholic churches since may of 2020 now you might be wondering to yourself what is the number of non-denom churches that get attacked and it's like well well basically none right and why is that because non-denom churches typically uh, don't stand for much, and so they don't get a lot of attacks or a lot of hate. Um, there's been seven, there were 75 attacks on on Catholic churches. Okay, so now this has been updated actually. So September 15th it was updated, which was yesterday, and it says there's been 75 attacks on Catholic churches since that Supreme Court leak of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Okay, so that's just in the U.S. alone, um, obviously. This does not include, I mean, there's been priests and religious and Catholics murdered in other countries and communist countries, especially I know it was happening in Nicaragua, happens in places in Africa, happens in China, and that's like a whole nother level, right? And there's Christians in the Middle East and, and in other countries that are killed, and, and I mean Christians and Protestants who are killed for their faith, Um and who take bold stands and things like that. So I'm not trying to take that away from them. There are great martyrs um, in the Protestant world in other countries. I think a lot of times in the U.S. here, you don't see that. You don't see them being persecuted or attacked. And why is that? Why do we also see that Catholicism is mocked in Hollywood and in these, you know, Met Galas and things like that, that literally will have like Catholic themes and do these scandalous outfits, wear these scandalous outfits that are, um, you know, mocking or similar to um, Catholicism in some way, right? Um, it's because we stand for something, and that's what we're meant to do, right? But how do you become a Christian that's worth killing? How do you become... What, another way that I heard this put was, if they were going around arresting practicing Catholics, like, would your life demonstrate that you should be arrested, right? Um, and and, the, and other, another way to look at that same question, I think, is, if you were to die today, is there evidence of your life that you lived as a Catholic? And I think that that's a pretty solid indicator of whether or not you're on a trajectory to heaven, right? So if they were able to like study and document your life, like when was your last, at least it's a guess, right? It's not saying that like it'd be a guarantee, but it would at least give you some type of a guess, right? Does this person go to mass on a regular basis? Um, do we have document, like, is there a way to track that? Or, or like if they were tracking you, right? Like think of like a 1984 kind of, they're super tracking you world. Does this person go to mass? Does this person go to confession? Um, are, are they just living with their girlfriend or something that is very clearly um, against Catholic teaching, against church teaching? Are they supportive of things that are strongly against church teaching, like abortion or same-sex marriage? That kind of stuff would be some pretty clear indicators of, oh, this person's not really Catholic. They're not really a threat to us, um, and so we don't need to arrest them, a.k.a. they're not that serious about their faith, and... That's pretty concerning for your soul. So how do I become a Catholic that's worth killing if they were trying to extinguish Catholicism, right? That's something to think about. It means you have to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. It means we have to be these type of people who, uh, you know, practice our faith and practice it very seriously. Chapter 2, he starts out, so chapter 2 is titled, The Broad Road That Leads to Destruction. 
And I highly encourage you, if you've never read this book, I highly encourage you to get it because the whole thing is really good. But he starts with the, the quote uh, from Christ himself that says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the wide for wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. So that's one of the ones for me, man, that I'm just like, how do people believe that not many people go to hell? And that's not what this this one is about, so I'm going to only touch on this chapter really quickly because we already talked recently about do most people go to heaven or not. So that was a podcast from like two or three weeks ago. I encourage you to go listen to that one if you're more interested in going deeper into this topic. But just thinking about this fog that has created, that has been created that really leads people to not understanding this, right? Um, yeah, he talks about, I, like, I love this quote from him. He says, one area of religion where we exert some serious effort is in finding excuses to not be religious. And you can hear this, man, I mean, if you just talk to people or you just witness the way people live their lives, whether they prioritize sports or recreation or vacation or, um, you know, uh, leisure, any leisure or just rest and self-care over any type of religious practice is truly, truly wild. I mean, to be in the top like one to five percent of practicing religious people in our country today is a very, very low bar, right? Like extremely, extremely low. And you see this here. I think he does this really well. He, he really documents this and talks about how we celebrate. Our, this is a quote from Matt. We celebrate our freedom, which has become nothing more than freedom to destroy ourselves, right? So we make these excuses that we, we go out and, um, you know, find any reason why we can to not be religious, to not practice our faith. And think about this on your own level. I've done this to myself. I really wanted to go to confession recently. I've been like four or five weeks since my last confession. I try to go every two and just last weekend, I did it, right? Like I was, I found myself, I don't even remember what I was doing, what I was doing. Uh, something around the house though. And I was trying to figure something out and I was like, well, I could go to confession now, but I'll, I'll just kind of wait, right? Like I'll, I'll go this week sometime and, and whatever. And you make these excuses and then come Monday and I'm like, well, you know, I'm kind of tired from the weekend. So I'll just, I'll sleep in a little bit and I'm not going to get up and go to confession this morning. Tuesday comes around, same thing. Wednesday, same bullshit. Thursday, finally, I'm like, uh, or Wednesday, I said I was going to go in the evening, didn't go, made the same excuse of if something came up, right? Instead of going Wednesday evening, oh, it's too far, whatever, it's rush hour. I'm like, no, no excuses. I have to go tomorrow morning, right? And so I forced myself to get up to go. But think about this. We all make these excuses for ourselves when it comes to um, watching something we shouldn't watch or when it comes to skipping our prayer time or not praying the rosary or never going to daily mass. I didn't go to daily mass this week and I have no good reasons as to why I didn't go other than the fact that I didn't go to confession earlier. And so it's easier when you're not in a, um, you know, when you're falling further away from that state of grace or not in a state of grace to excuse yourself of all these things. So that's why we have to fight for this. If you have not been to confession in a long time, and by a long time, I mean more than the last 30 days, you need to get your ass to confession. Stop playing around with this stuff. So then he kind of talks about, we already talked on this, so I'm not really going to go into this, but he talks about this kind of just believe, right? Um, and and the, only one, the only thing I want to talk about, so this is kind of being safe by faith alone, right? A uh, quote from Matt, he says, a modern Christian believes that believing he is a Christian is enough to make him a Christian. That's worth repeating, I think. The modern Christian believes that believing he is a Christian is enough to make him a Christian. And this is where we've 
uh, and I've, I've talked about this many times before, so I'm not going to, like I said, I promise you I'm not going to go deep into this. You guys know I get worked up about this topic. But this idea that you just believing you're a Christian makes you a Christian, right? You believing you're a Catholic or being baptized as an infant as a Catholic makes you a Catholic. And how incredibly dangerous that is to our faith and to our salvation and to our evangelization and to our families to just believe that just thinking you're a Christian, oh yeah, then you're automatically a Christian. That's not what that means. Listen to this. He, he leads this chapter with this quote from St. James chapter 2. We read from James chapter 1 today. St. James in, in his, uh, his letter, chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the, even the demons believe that and shudder. Right? So what does that mean? If you just confess, like this is this is what a lot of people talk about too, and I think we I think we underutilize this when it comes to debunking the the stupid idea, for lack of a better term, that you're saved by faith alone, because the the demons, the demons in hell, the devil himself, believe everything that we confess. They don't just believe it; like they know it, right? Like. The Lord tells us that blessed are those who have not seen but believe. The demons have seen it. The demons have seen it. They know it. They believe it. Right? They know that there is one God. They know that there's a Trinity. They know that uh, Jesus has died to save us from our sins. That he resurrected from the dead. And that he sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Demons know that. St. James tells us this. And we know, just from logic and reason, we know that they know this. If you believe in the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, they were there. (laughs) They witnessed it. They've been around and in existence for all of it. The incarnation, all of it. They've seen it. So how does you just believing the same things demons in hell believe mean that you are not going to go to hell? You now are guaranteed a place in heaven. Don't make much sense. Doesn't make any sense at all, to be honest with you. And so you have to understand how powerful that is for you to just say, oh, I believe something um, and now I'm set. And now that makes me a Christian or a Catholic. Like, that's not good. That's not good at all, my friend. So you got to take that belief, as St. James tells us just in the chapter before that, not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. And so really evaluate in your own life. What is it that you do? What is it that you partake in? What is it that you might believe that keeps you from being the saint that you were made to be? And maybe this is something I was going to talk about at the beginning. Maybe it's you just lack your prayer life. And I, I get into this place all the time in my life where it's like your prayer life kind of comes and, comes and goes. It ebbs and flows, right? If you've been listening to me for a while, you've probably heard me say this quote before. There's never been a saint who didn't have a prayer life. Never once. There's never been a canonized saint who didn't have a prayer life. And even if you think about saints in heaven in the lowercase s, right? Just the general people in heaven, not just the canonized saints. How many of them are in heaven that didn't have prayer lives? It it seems impossible, right? It, It doesn't make any sense. It's like being alive without breathing. How are you, if you can't choose God even for five to 10 minutes a day, why would you choose to spend eternity with him? That doesn't make any sense. Why would you ever do that? It it just doesn't add up, right? And so you need to have a prayer life. And so this is why I encourage you guys all the time, and I'll include the link in this uh, 
the show notes today. If you want to click on uh, our link for Seeking Excellence to start your free trial with Hallow, obviously I work for Hallow. I'm a big, I, I literally do sales for Hallow. And so <laughs> I am a massive encourager of people using the app. I use the app myself. But if you don't have a prayer life, it is a great place to start. You can get into your little routine. You can set notifications and reminders to go in and pray um, and take part of these challenges. We're about to have this great challenge coming out with Padre Pio, St. Padre Pio, where we'll be doing a deep dive into his life and then Mother Teresa and these other great saints. You can listen to great audio books and, and great Catholic classics. If you haven't started with Hallow, you need to today especially if you don't have a prayer life. Unless you're capable of what I call, you know, my level of prayer excellence, I think I've told you this before, is being able to pray a holy hour with nothing. That's when I know that I'm at excellence for my uh, prayer life, which I'm not at that place right now. But I can kind of gauge how much, like how, how much can I pray, how long can I pray without having anything there? And if you can't pray with any, without anything, guiding you or reading or whatever, that's okay. That's a great place to start. And, and Hallow is the best tool to use to get to that place, right? And to get going. And so if you're un- incapable of doing that, Hallow is a great resource to help you get closer to that. All right. So now this is chapter four. He talks about my buddy, Jesus. And oh boy, if you want to get me worked up again, this is another <laughs> topic that drives me freaking crazy. And yes, I think that by and large, this was another one that was ushered in by a lot of Protestants. And so this is the kind of like, this, this drives me nuts, right? You, you might hear uh, the people who only refer to Jesus as JC or the big man upstairs or this kind of casual, like Jesus is my homie. Um, Jesus is my co-pilot. That's a really funny one. I forget where I heard this recently, but somebody was going in on this, like Jesus is my co-pilot. And you see this in like the... Um, uh, this is like on, it's like a stupid ass bumper sticker, right? So you see like Jesus is my co-pilot. And it's like, Jesus is quite literally not your co-pilot. <laughs> and he has absolutely no interest in being your co-pilot because Jesus is the king of the universe. So him being a co-anything with you ain't it, right? It's just, it's not it. So, uh, you know, my wife could be my co-pilot because we are uh, equals, right? Because we're equal humans. Your business partner could be your co-pilot, your friend. God's not your co-pilot. God is your God. He is your Lord. He is your king. And he's, Jesus is also our friend, right? This is the kind of like oxymoron. And you can see this like most beautifully, I feel like, if you think of um, the, like we just started watching The Crown, right? Um, and if you watch The Crown or if you think about the, people like kings and queens or even just things you've seen from movies, right? And it can be even be like cartoon movies where you have like a princess or something like that. Like there's there's people who are close to them and God and Jesus and his humility allows us to be close to him. And he displays that most clearly in the apostles, right? And in his disciples. And we can see that in things like the chosen. It's very clearly uh, depicted that God is, he enters into our life, right? The incarnation, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, what a gift, what a blessing that God humbled himself to uh, the point of becoming a human, a human baby, right? It's amazing. At the same time, that human baby is the king of the, he's the king of everything, right? He's the king of heaven, which is where we hope to enter someday. And we see things like Jesus being our friend 
and Jesus telling us that he is our friend. And then we also see things like the quote that Matt Walsh chooses to open chapter four with from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, excuse me, the letter to the Hebrews. It says this, quote, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. End quote. So that's from Hebrews chapter 12. This is, and he opens with this great sentence. Matt Walsh says, we have used Christ's humility against him. In only one chapter of the gospel, John 15, our Lord pays us the unthinkable compliment of calling us his friends. It is an expression of supreme humility on his part and all the more reasons for us to fall at his feet in gratitude and worship. This is one of the best things about kneeling and uh, genuflecting. Because what I think a lot of Protestants have lost and um, Catholics who go to these super unorthodox churches that have taken out kneelers and things like that is, and, and this used to be a common practice amongst Catholics and Protestants in general, even at home, right? You kneel down next to your bed to talk to God. We've lost all of that. And, and it's good, right? Like, I think um, it's good that that's not good. Excuse me. The loss of that is not good. But it's good that we have a, a sort of closeness and this kind of like uh, filial, like this, this brotherly closeness with the Lord, right? Like to have a close relationship with God. We know and we can read from prayers of the saints. And if you talk to holy people now, um, and if you hear people who are close to God pray now, there, there's also this like, there's this intimacy, right? And that's what I mean. It's like in the crown, they have that like head butler or whatever. Like that guy has a, an, a special closeness with uh, the king in the early, in the early episodes, right? When the king is still alive. And then he kind of continues that on with the queen. The queen has her husband, right? The king has his wife. They have a special closeness with the king. And yet, when they're walking off the airplane, if you remember the first time Queen Elizabeth exits off the airplane, the husband has to walk behind her. And he has to do that from thence, thenceforth, right? From that point forward, he has to do that. That is our relationship with the Lord, right? We are close. We can be friends. But like to never acknowledge that he's the king, to never acknowledge that he's the Lord, what does that lead into? I, I can tell you because I see it in, in, in Catholics who lose that reverence and in Protestants who don't have that reverence is you become the Lord of your own life and Jesus is is demoted to being your friend. And then when he's demoted to being your friend, we kind of turn to him as like a, a genie where it's like, I come to you when I want something or I need something or I want some consolation, but please don't come in here with all that nonsense, like your commandments and telling me what to do and telling me how I ought to live my life because I'm acknowledging and really intentionally trying to be a hearer of the word and not a doer. I want to be a hearer only. And so, you know, Matt Walsh goes on to talk about uh, the hangout Jesus, because we often talk about Jesus, quote, hung out with sinners or hung out with prostitutes, right? And (laughs) Matt Walsh says, there's more wrong with this than the scandalously irreverent phrasing. And so we basically, what he says is we basically slander Christ the same way the Pharisees did. Jesus didn't spend time with sinners just to spend time with sinners, just to hang out, just to be one of the boys, just to show that he was cool, right? He's a man of the people. He did that and he loved them and he did get to know them. He didn't just lead with fire and brimstone, but we see throughout scriptures that he called them to a higher life. 
He, he said to the adulteress in John chapter 8, go and sin no more. Right? He defended her. He said, let those who are among you cast the first stone. He had them drop their stones. They walked away. And then he turned to the woman and said, stop doing this shit. <laughs> right? That's what he, I mean, he said, stop sinning. He's like, now I protect you and defend you from them. And she didn't, you know, come up to him and say, oh, thank you so much. They're so judgmental. They're so awful. And he's like, I know. Who do they think that they are? He didn't continue on that. He said, I had my moment with them. That does not negate the fact that you need to stop doing what you're doing. Go and sin no more. Right? So we, uh, Matt talks about, he kind of goes on to talk about people who, throughout scriptures, are brought to their knees in reverence and adoration upon encountering the supernatural reality of God. Think of the woman who comes and, and washes Christ's feet with her tears. The woman who comes and, uh, you know, and uses the perfume, right, to, to, uh, to um, uh, like, anoint his feet, right? These people who meet Christ, right? Uh, the blind man sitting alongside the road. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, right? This is how they approach, right? When they encounter God, Zacchaeus climbing up into a tree, like great effort, great reverence, great awe, right? People, the woman who crawled through the crowd to touch the cloak, right? If I can just touch the hem of his garment, the woman with the hemorrhages who's healed by that. He talks about what are we to think now of the people who, who lackadaisically walk into the church today? One thing that you're amazed by, or that I'm always amazed by, when I go to a traditional Latin Mass, is the way that the, the altar servers genuflect every single time they cross in front of the tabernacle. And the question is, why wouldn't you? Right? I mean, it bothers me beyond belief to watch grown men, capable grown men, come into a church and not genuflect. I also think about it in my own life. Of I never want to be overweight or obese, and, I, and we see this in priests all the time, right? Who can't genuflect anymore, even though they're only like fifty years old. Like if I get to the point where I can't genuflect, like before I'm elderly, like truly elderly, I have made some huge mistakes in my life and have not been a good steward of the gift of health and the body that God has given me. And that's true for all of us. But to see these young men who stroll into the church in gym shorts and a t-shirt on a Sunday and don't genuflect. Like, there's so much at the root of that, right? Like, you can say, okay, you know, you're being judgmental. Or you're, it's like, I don't have to judge this person. So I don't have to judge, um, you know, what kind of person they are, what kind of virtue they maintain. But if I see that, I know there's obviously spiritual immaturity. At a minimum, right? Like, I know that at a minimum, they're unformed. And that can be the most generous and uh, gracious interpretation of the circumstances that I can possibly have as a human being, right? If you are formed in your faith. Because there's no good reason for it. I've explored it. I used to wear shorts to Mass. I used to, you know, show up just chilling even to daily Mass and just cooling, you know, and, and gym shorts and whatever. And daily Mass, I do believe, has slightly different standards. But... At the same time, I've, I've grown, I've matured, I've, I've thought about it, I've prayed about it, I've been corrected by good virtuous men in my life to not wear shorts to Mass, and, you know, this is exactly what he kind of talks about. So, uh, Matt Walsh talks about a, a, um, a preacher, or a pastor at a, a parish, actually, um, when he was in Pennsylvania on vacation, 
And he said that he was guilty of this. He was wearing shorts at mass. And he said the pastor talked about the fact that lackadaisical slovenly attire is a symptom of a far greater problem, that many Christians have a lackadaisical slovenly spiritual life, and their outfits only reflect, reflect that fact. And he felt personally attacked because he looked like trash. Like he says that he was showed up in a t-shirt and shorts and flip-flops. Right? He had a reasonable explanation because he was on vacation and all this other stuff. And it's like, dude, when you start to realize, like, I'm showing up for something important, then you don't want to wear that stuff anymore. Right? So, I don't, I don't want to wear jeans to mass on Sunday. I don't want to wear shorts to mass on Sunday. I don't want to show up in a t-shirt or something like that to mass on Sunday. Right? I show up. And I'm going to be wearing dress pants and a collar. And that's like, that's not that hard, right? I'm not even saying, and I think most people don't believe that you have to show up in a a suit and a tie every Sunday. That's great and beautiful for people who want to do that. And I think that that's awesome. Just like I'm not convinced to the point of, of being trad enough that I think that my wife has to show up in a veil every Sunday. But please believe that the vast majority of the time she's wearing a dress. I'm wearing slacks and some type of collar, usually a button up shirt. And, and dress shoes. If you're not wearing a belt to church, something's off, fam. And we need to talk about this. I've been wanting to talk about this. Like every Sunday, I think about talking about this and I never remember to bring it up. But stop dressing to mass like you dress to everything else. Even worse, even worse, dude. Most people will dress for other random things like work. And not dress nicely for mass. To be honest with you, it was it was getting out of the army that was one of the things that made it kind of easiest for me. Because when I worked at Dynamic Catholic, we had to dress. We dressed uh, like business casual every day, right? So you could rock a polo. You could rock uh, a button-down just like khakis or whatever. But typically didn't wear shorts. And um, yeah, you, you have your shirt tucked in, right? Most of the time. And that, like once I started doing that and I was like, well, if I can do this. For work every day, which is substantially less important than the holy sacrifice of the mass, right? Where we gather together to recreate the Lord's passion through the priest. Um, I can I can probably dress a little bit nicer, right? And so that's something to think about, guys. And I know that's probably gonna be convicting for some people, and I'm not gonna get into modesty and women and what you what you should be doing. My, my rule for all of us is the same because that's that's women can handle that for themselves. My rule for all of us is the same is if if at any point throughout the week you're dressing nicer than you're dressing to mass, then you're wrong. Barring you're going to like an absolute like wedding, like a black tie event or a wedding that week. Like if it's just a regular week in your life, the nicest you should present yourself. Let's get back to the Sunday best. That is my standard. And that's what I think is the standard of excellence for Catholics going to church on Sunday. You see these people in these other like super woke churches, um, whether they be Catholic or Protestant, they like pride themselves and, oh, we're like accepting. You can wear whatever you want. I remember saying that and doing that and telling people like, oh yeah, just wear whatever you want. Like, no, people think we're like super judgmental. We're not. Like, just wear whatever you want. And we ought not be judgmental, right? I've strolled into uh, traditional Latin masses in shorts before. And I'm thankful that the people there allowed me to still come and I wasn't like, you know, super judged or or treated poorly or whatever. And the reason why I did that was I was wearing shorts that day. I was out. I was traveling for work. I was wearing shorts that day. And I was like, 
uh, let me see. It was like the afternoon. I was working at a coffee shop, kind of wrapped up. And I was like, let's see if there's like mass this evening anywhere. And there happened to be one that was like 20 minutes walking distance from me in an hour. And so I'm like, oh, I'll go to mass. And I still don't like to go to, in shorts, but I still, I do think it's better to go in shorts than to not go. Right. And so I'm not that crazy about attire that like, if I'm out for the day and like, I don't have clothes to change into that I'm going to not go to mass. Like, I think that's where people get crazy and like legalistic about it is I'm not going to not go to mass because I, um, you know, was out at like a family thing. And now, um, I'm going to spontaneously go to daily mass, right? There's never a reason for that on Sunday because I know and plan my entire Sunday around when I'm going to mass on Sunday, but a spontaneous daily mass, if I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get up and go, um, from wherever I am, like, let's say there's a noon mass and I'm out and I'm like, Oh, let me like, I know there's new mass at this parish. Like I'll go in shorts rather than not going. But I can tell you that it hasn't happened in the last two years because I've typically planned my day a lot more now and more intentional with my time. And if I'm going to daily mass, I'm going to put pants on. Even if those are jeans, I will wear jeans at daily mass sometimes. But like, let's get back to this idea of your Sunday best, like the nicest you look throughout the week. I'm currently rocking sweatpants and a t-shirt at home because this is what I wear to work half the time because I work from home and I wear shorts during the day here when I'm working from home or whatever. And so for me, like getting dressed up into um, khakis and a sports jacket or just a button up or whatever, like that's the nicest thing I'm going to wear this week. That's great. I wear one of my nicer shirts. I, I try to look my best for mass on Sunday, right? I trim my beard for it. I Make sure that I you know, my hair looks nice, right? I'm not showing up looking a mess because it, it like we're presenting ourselves for God. I present myself at communion and I want to show up and be like, Lord, like I planned for this and I came as though I was coming to meet the king and I'm going to approach the altar and I'm going to approach my pew and genuflect and bow at the right times and things like that because I recognize what I'm doing. And I recognize before whom I'm doing it. Right. And so let's get back to that, guys, especially if you men out there, stop wearing shorts to mass. That's like a hard and fast rule. Stop dressing like a scrub, going to mass, tuck your shirt in, look nice. If you don't have nice things, buy one nice outfit. I only have like two sports jackets that fit and I wear them on a regular basis. And I'm okay with that. Like who, who cares? You wear the same thing. You wear the same dress or whatever. Great. It's an opportunity to grow in humility. Stop wearing stupid stuff to mass. I don't think anybody should wear jeans to mass on Sunday, um, whether you're a man or a woman. Um, and, and women can figure out what they want to wear, but it, try to go for your Sunday best. That's the main thing. No, you shouldn't be judged. No, we shouldn't be judging people. We shouldn't be turning people away. But there's something about when you understand it at TLM, like people are going to dress nicer here. Having that kind of a bar and that kind of a standard, it's good. And it inspires men. Men like doing things in uniforms. Right? It was one of the best parts for and being in the army for me. I loved wearing the uniform. It's good to, to have dress standards and, and a dress code. And so think about that. How can you contribute to that in the church? All right. So the next thing uh, Matt Walsh talks about is this gospel of positivity. Always a good one. It says, joy removed from the cross, joy that denies or ignores the cross, Joy that wants the resurrection apart from the crucifixion is a false joy. It's not joy at all, but a mere optimism. Positivity, as we call it today. He says, many millions are led happily astray by this bundle of cheap hope and ignorant bliss. 
And so this is so true. This gospel of positivity, joy, joy is a virtue. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That means it's something that has uh, a root in you having the Holy Spirit in you. And it's incredibly important. I've argued with many trads before about the importance of joy. Um, but when you get into this prosperity gospel and just this kind of gospel of positivity, it, it becomes very, very secular of having just like this happiness and just like God is just here to like make you happy and make you feel good. That is not the case. It, this reminds me of one of my favorite Bible stories from the Old Testament of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of the most savage moments that ever happened in Scripture. When these three are told to bow before this false god, this idol that the king has created, he says, uh, and the three of them are like, nah, dog, we're good. He's like, all right, well, bet, I'm going to throw you into the fiery furnace. And the boys tell him, tell the king, they say, listen, uh, uh, your majesty, um, our God is able to save us. And if he wants to, that'll be great. But even if he does not know, O king, that we will not serve you or your gods, we will not worship you or your God. That's the kind of faith that we're called to have. Even if God does not give us what we want, even if God does not provide us the things that we think we need or desire, we know and understand that God gives us what we need. And God will provide for our needs and that God loves us and that we can live in that love and we can be joyful despite those things. But this idea that, again, this kind of flows from the God is my buddy thing, that God is here to kind of grant us our wishes and and give us what we want. Obviously, there's plenty of scripture that supports that God wants us to prosper and to thrive and to do all these things. But to think that God wants everybody to be rich, it's the same. I think it, it falls on the same foundation, the same shaky, shallow foundation that um, uh, Christians who claim to believe in um, uh, karma falls in. It's like, how do you look at people who are impoverished around the world, Christians who live in poverty or persecution, and and justify that with this prosperity gospel, with this idea of karma? What did the person living in a third world country who's being killed and destroyed for their faith, what did they do to deserve that? And how do you juxtapose that with this idea that, oh, we have all this scripture that God wants us to be rich. It's like, that only makes sense in the United States of America. And Christianity is is universal, fam. It's not just for the U.S. Uh, kind of going on with Joy, I love this quote that he talks about um, within the Gospel of Positivity. Matt Walsh talks about depression and despair. He kind of flows into this talking about um, secular religion and people who have removed God from their life. And I think this is a really interesting, like, kind of hot take on mental illness. I don't think that this covers all of it, but I do, and and I've said this before, I think uh, mental illness is overblown, um, especially when it comes to depression and anxiety, and, uh, yeah, and overdiagnosed and overmedicated. <clears throat> so he says here, quote, we are told that despair or depression, as we call it today, that in and of itself is fire. Let me step let me step back out real quick. We're told that despair or depression as we call it today. Uh yeah. We, that that's like that's it, right? Like this is what I think that gets missed a lot of times in secular mental health world is despair is an actual real thing. And it's the opposite of a virtue. It's a vice, right? Like ultimately despair is is one of the primary like unforgivable sins against the Holy Spirit. That's what we're taught 
you know, I was just reading my 1962 missile today because um, I love to read kind of the most important prayers and, and kind of the basics of the faith at the beginning of the the missile. And despair is one of those things, right? To lose hope is is like it's sinful, right? To like logically embrace a life without hope in God is sinful. And it's it's brought about by sin and it's sin in and of itself, right? And so despair and, and being so caught off from the life of God, the life of the church, that you are in despair, right? Like I always say this, like if you don't pray, if you don't live an intentional life, if you're not striving for excellence, why wouldn't you be miserable? Why wouldn't you be depressed and anxious and stressed? And if you aren't, if you aren't those things, if you aren't anxious, depressed, and stressed, if you stop doing the things that are are good for you, like prayer and silence and um, exercise and eating well and like developing and maintaining good, healthy relationships, you will become <laughs> depressed, anxious, and stressed. It's just like that's the math equation of life. And we just call it depression today, and we consider it a mental illness, and we give people medicine for it, which basically numbs them from the experiences that like, rightfully come about from living a disordered life. Going back to the quote from Matt Walsh, but how can we call someone ill for being in despair when he has so many good reasons for that despair? That's like seeing a man shivering and blue-lipped without a jacket in the freezing cold and advising him that his tremors must be a sign of Parkinson's. No, there is nothing wrong with his shivers. They are his body's way of telling him that he needs to go inside and get warm before hypothermia sets in. We do nothing for the man by treating his trembling while leaving him to die in the cold. We do nothing for a despairing man by numbing his sadness while leaving him to his empty, miserable existence. End quote. Oh, the next sentence. I got to read the next sentence. He said, there is no use telling a godless person to enjoy life. <laughs> There is no use telling a godless person to enjoy life. That's wild. That's absolutely wild. I think that's so true, though. I mean, how do we how do we go about this? How do you tell people who have no God in their life, who have no moral compass, who have no uh, identity and understanding that they are loved and chosen and wanted? How do you tell them to go off and, and have a good day? Right? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't add up. And so I um, I love that. I think that that is one of the things that we have to recognize when it comes to our approach to mental health, especially as we raise children, as we become spouses, and um, even just in our own lives, of understanding that your mental health is going to be largely um, dependent on whether you live life right or not. If joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, then you have to have the Holy Spirit to have joy. Just like you have to have the Holy Spirit to have love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness, all the other nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. And if you need to have the Holy Spirit in order to have those things, then I have to do the things that help me to embrace um, and maintain the Spirit in my life. Namely, following God's commandments, living in a state of grace, developing my relationship with God through prayer and the sacraments. If you're not doing that, then you're going to lack the fruits of the Holy Spirit. That's not complex or 
difficult to comprehend stuff right there. So I'm really enjoying this, but I'm only halfway through the book. And so I'm going to come back to this sometime and kind of wrap up a second half on that. Um, And yeah, we'll kind of finish that out another day. But for now, I just want to give you some updates. We've got some really fun stuff coming up. So um, pretty soon here, I'm going to be having a, or on Thursday, actually, my podcast will be released with Bridget uh, Boosacker. And Bridget is a wonderful human being. She is uh, an incredible person. She's become a good friend of mine uh, via social media. Excited to hang out with her someday. Um, her and her husband, hopefully. Um, and Emily's done some work with, with Bridget before as well. But she's uh, the founder of the NFP Collective. And so what Bridget and I are going to be talking about, she runs an a Instagram page, if you don't follow her, called Managing Your Fertility. And so she is also the founder of the NFP Collective, which is an informal group of fertility awareness professionals nationwide that meet monthly to help promote each other, uh, to help each other promote accurate, honest, and engaging info about fertility awareness. They're doing a free online NFP conference for young Catholic professionals from September 29th to October 1st. So I'll include that link in here today, and you'll hear more about that on Thursday. Um, this had not been announced when we did our podcast, so we didn't really talk about it specifically on the podcast. But what you'll hear about in Thursday's episode is all things kind of NFP, but really kind of talking about, and this is really important. So NFP is natural family planning. For those who don't know, the church is against the use of contraception, whether that be condoms or the birth control pill or whatever. And we're going to talk about why that is. We're going to talk, we talk about um, why the world is so against teaching some of these natural paths towards um, uh, planning your family, right? And like natural ways to, to kind of basically practice birth control um, and why the church encourages us to have an, a mind and a life that's open to life. And so we're going to talk about some of those things. I think it's some pretty crazy shit. If you're somebody who's pretty like wonky about um, the uh, big pharma and the vaccines and, and the way that those have been pushed for profit. The, and, and if you also feel me on what I was talking about earlier on, like um, things being overdiagnosed within the mental health community for profit, big pharma has a big hand in, in, um, in that as well then you're going to really understand and want to know more about why Big Pharma also pushes young girls to be on birth control from the time they're 14, basically, until the time that they, um, until the day they die or until they're, you know, fully out of menopause. And so that's pretty weird, if you ask me. And it's like, none of this stuff is good for you. And it's like these chemical imbalances that we're pushing on people and just this constant use of medicine, um, is not great. And so she talks through some of this stuff and she's got this great conference coming up. And so it's free, it's online, it's easy to get to. And, uh, yeah, she's just doing an amazing job for this. And so, um, yeah, she works as a rocket scientist. The woman who is the project manager manager for this conference, um, is a rocket scientist who is in love with NFP. So these are very highly intelligent people and great doctors and and medical professionals and things like that, who are going to be teaching about this. So, encourage you to check that out. Other things, just want to talk about some upcoming podcasts while I've got you. Uh, Last guest of the month will be Dan Driver, who is the chief or he's the director of operations for the Mass of the Ages. So we'll be talking about some TLM stuff. I think he is uh, one of my favorite guests we've ever had. Um, We had a great conversation. He's very real, very awesome, awesome man. 
absolutely crazy story going from being a guitar player, uh, playing with like the Red Hot Chili Peppers at one point in his life to uh, just being a rock star, drug, sex, and, and rock and roll, man. Like it was a crazy life and he converted to being Catholic and then uh, converted to, uh, not converted, but you know, has fallen in love with the TLM. Um, and we'll talk more about Mass of the Ages and what it does. I was really impressed when I was at Napa to learn more about Mass of the Ages and all the things that's included in that and in that project. And so some really cool stuff for that. Um, and then next week, probably for the solo, I'll do some more on this Church of Cowards stuff because I think it's really interesting. Um, interesting stuff. And so thank you so much for tuning in today. I greatly, greatly appreciate having your time. want to obviously always encourage you to strive to be your best to uh, overcome some of these obstacles to understand what what really a great life looks like and how you can best fulfill your potential and how you can encourage other people to do the same. And so um, it's such a gift to, to have you listening to the podcast. Also, just want to update you that um, we just had our second best month of all time as far as podcast downloads and listens go. And so we've got some great momentum going right now. And so I really appreciate you especially those of you who have left us reviews, those who share it on social media, those of you who have shared it to a friend, DM, or via text message, whatever it might be, means a lot to the podcast. And um, I'm so grateful for you doing that. I'm grateful for your time uh, listening today and really hope that you'll take and be hearers or doers of, of this word as well. Don't just be somebody who listens to the advice that I give or the advice that you hear from our guests and doesn't implement that into your life. Act on this stuff and really strive to, um, yeah, take the things that are convicting to you, take the things that are, uh, you know, rock your world when you're listening to the podcast and really try to implement them into your life because it can be a game changer and it can make all the difference in who you end up becoming, the parent that you'll be one day, the spouse that you are, or the spouse that you'll be one day. And we want to see you rock that. We want to see you rock the the things and the, the tasks and the, the um, objectives that God has laid out before you in your life, right? So, um, know of our prayers for you, continue to, to pray for me. Um, and let's set some goals this week. What are some goals that you can, you can reach out for? What, maybe you need to go to confession. Maybe you need to, um, go to daily mass this week. Maybe you need to take this week and this was your sign to stop dressing like a, a hobo and, and, and get your shit together and start dressing nice for mass on Sunday. Um, maybe this was your sign to, uh, stop only viewing the Lord as your buddy and as your friend and and actually start to implement some of these uh, practices when it comes to uh, being reverent in mass, being reverent as you approach uh, your pew and genuflecting and bowing and doing all these things, right? So whatever it was today, I hope that you'll take something from it and implement it into your life so that you can start to be the saint and the awesome human being that God created you to be. Remember to check out that hallow link in the show notes. Check out the link to the articles and other stuff that I talked about. Um, and pray for an end to church violence. The, the violence is happening against our Catholic church. Pray for that to end. And pray that you can be the type of person that if they were seeking out to, to squash Catholicism in the world, they would have to come for you and have to find you first because you are so on fire with your faith. You're so eager to share your faith and the truth and love and the uh, goodness and beauty of our faith with other people that you'd have to be, you know, one of the people that they have to come find if they were going to squash out uh, Catholicism from the world. God bless you. Fight hard. Be your best.